to Sensorial with Eunice, a portal to Asian diaspora creativity and healing. I'm your host, Eunice KS, and welcome to this week's episode. Thank you so much to those of you who've shared with me what resonated with you from the previous episodes. It truly fills up my heart with so much joy and love to hear from you. And from what you've shared with me so far, what's clear to me is that Sensorial can be a form of community care. My intention with Sensorial is that we take care of each other through sharing our stories and our hearts through intimate conversations and community healing spaces. So with that said, I am very excited to share with you that I'm launching a Patreon. I'd love to invite you to really be part of this community and be part of the making of the show. I put together some exciting offerings like community somatic healing experiences ancestral healing, bonus content, among other offerings. Please check them out by going to patreon.com slash sensorial with Eunice. Be part of the founding member circle to be the day ones of this community. So the link is patreon.com slash sensorial with Eunice. You can also find me on Instagram at eunice.ks. And if you like email better, go to eunice.ks.com to sign up for my newsletter and hit the reply button to just directly connect with me. Okay, let's get to the episode. Enjoy the show. I'm very, very excited to introduce our special guest today. He is a photographer, producer, and cultural worker who's worked with large brands like On, Converse, and Leatherman, as well as neighborhood small businesses. And he grounds his work in exploring people's relationship to place and cultural identities. And having personally witnessed his creative transformation over the last few years, I'm so excited for our conversation today. So grab your water, grab your journal. It's my pleasure to welcome Michael Ken Stewart. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks. Uh, That was nice of you to say. It's weird to think about journeys when you're like super in the thing you're doing when you're in it yeah. yeah so it's always nice to be affirmed in those ways so thank you well when we first met we had met through a photo shoot that I was putting together for my brand Inky Zen and I remember it was super last minute like very just putting it out there does anyone know anyone and you showed up and did so well and that was just the beginning of our journey and so much has changed since then yeah, wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> I remember it because that was Jojo. Shout out to Jojo who just yes, had a shout out to Jojo who connects everyone. <laughs> yes, who just had a birthday. Yes. Happy birthday, Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that day because I was sitting at work and then Jojo was like, Hey, do you want to model? I was like, wait, what? What do you mean model? I'm at work right now. Yeah, and I showed up. It was a great time. So thank you for involving me. I still wear the pants. Yes. And they're very comfy. So yeah, that was definitely the start. So much has happened from that point to now. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, and before we get into that whole journey and transformation, I want to talk about the card we pulled. (laughs) The card I pulled for you right after the conversation. And the card I pulled is LEAP in all caps. The universe wants to support you, but you first need to leap. And it said, perhaps you know what you're being called to leap towards or away from but are scared to make the move, or maybe you're waiting for a big sign. If this is you, then this card is your sign to take a deep breath and leap into the unknown because the universe will catch you. 
So Michael, given what's been going on in your life recently, what's coming up for you? Yeah. So I'm at the cliff edge. So I was like, <laughs> leap. I was like, okay, well, I'm here. I feel like I've been on a cliff's edge for a while. I definitely have clarified what I want and in my head, but there's, yeah, it's definitely scary to think about. There's like a move to Asia I want to do. There's getting into photography more and image making in general, bigger projects as well in terms of like Japanese American history. So you shared that with me and I was like, oh God, (laughs) this is literally where I'm at right now. Uh, Maybe I need to jump today. We're jumping today. (laughs) We're jumping today. And what resonated with me with the card is that the universe will support you. There was a clear declaration of support that will come in the form of, you know, community, people, whatever. But just the fear, of course, as any human would feel around leaping into the unknown, you could just see in the picture of the card. like. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the hardest part for me. I think, you know, for a long time, and I still think I'm like a very like lone wolf type of person. So asking for help and support is a little challenging on my end a lot of times. So hearing that, I'm like, okay, you know, I have to, and I have met great people that have supported me in my journey. Um, and we can talk more about that, but yeah, yeah. support. <laughs> support is there. Well, I think that's integral to, I feel like the journey that I've witnessed on my end from the moment that we met when you were thrown into a photo shoot as a model. And then I remember like right after we did the photo shoot, we were talking about your hopes and dreams and you were talking about you're expressing the strong desire to transition into something more creative. You don't know what, but you wanted to do something creative. And then the next thing I know, you're like producing a podcast (laughs) and doing all these things. So tell me a little bit more about the pivotal moment that comes to mind from that conversation to your foray into your creative career. I mean, at that time, I was working at a shipping company. And basically, I've been thinking a lot about how I was born and bred to be in this corporate world from public school to college. So it's in that space a lot. Um, but I had met Jakey Cho at a screening of his, the doc he helped work on and produce called Bad Rap. And I kind of just offhand followed him on Facebook. And then I saw that he started a podcast called 699 per pound with Jojo and Julie and Marcus. And for some reason in my head or some spirit moved me to be like, Hey, do you need help? Or actually it wasn't that it was, can I come in and sit in on a podcast recording? Cause at that point I was like, I'm interested in this. Let's see what it, what the inside of it is. Right. And you then I showed into up. His DMs, right? Is that the story? Yeah, I, <laughs> I slid into his DMs. I slid into Jakey Cho's DMs. And you were fly on the wall. <laughs> and I was a fly on the wall. Yes. In a podcast recording. It was with a, so it was a Jay Lee who owns no one as a chef in New York City now. You know, I, I told Jojo, I was like, if you need help, let me know. I want to help get into it. And then I noticed they hadn't released any episodes in a month. And I was like, hey, what's going on? But they hadn't reached out. And then one day randomly Jakey was like, hey, can you help with this podcast? It was originally to edit the podcast or just edit notes, right? Listen to it, see what you need to cut out. And then after that, I think we did a couple of recordings and then we went to eat at Besso, which is a cool spot in Lower East Side, if anyone's in that area. And then they're like, do you want to produce the thing? I was like, uh, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, let's do it. So that's how <laughs> I got into it. 
yeah, not expecting it from that like first DM, but yeah, that started a two-year journey with six nine nine per pound, and I got to know Jakey, Jojo, Julie, and Marcus really well, and then a lot of the guests that we had on. I just grateful to be able to sit into these amazing conversations for two hours. I mean, people heard the cut down versions of them as much as I could, but just being in that space and having a connection, I think that actually helped in terms of my network as well, thinking about like artistry and creativity. That's when I started meeting a lot more creative folks or artists. I think growing up, I didn't really see a lot of my own thoughts reflected back in this, you know, very corporatized type of public school system. But when I was in those rooms, I was like, oh, okay. These people have these like pads that I didn't know. You know, when you look at them, you don't really see that, but then they explain it all. I was like, hey, I can do this maybe. So yeah, I think the podcast was definitely a big step in terms of that. And you met me like right before that. So (laughs) really just like leaped into it. Um, And I was doing that while doing a full-time job. And that was very stressful. That's a whole nother thing. And I don't know if I did it particularly well because I'm no longer at the shipping company, but we are where we are. (laughs) So you're exactly where you need to be. And it seems like that was one big leap in terms of sliding into his DMs and actually saying yes to a request or an invitation to produce for the podcast. Huge move, leap looking back. And then it seems like it opened up a lot of different different journeys that you weren't maybe exposed to growing up of like artists, of craftspeople, and just seeing all the different creativity that's out there just by listening into the conversations. And so from there, what happened next? Like, was it that then photography or was there something in between where your network sort of led you to another step? It was really like a rediscovery because I... So I'm from the Seattle area, Sammamish, Washington, Esquaw, for the people that know. But my dad's been cleaning the house for a while. And then there was a box and I opened it up and I found his old Olympus OM10 film camera. And I was like, hey, what is this thing? And he's like, oh, it's just a film camera, 35 millimeter. I don't know if it works anymore, but you can try it. So I took it to a the local camera shop. And then he looked at it. He was like, you just need a battery. And film. I was like, oh, okay. So then it was Thanksgiving. So then I got the film, I got the battery, and then I we went up to meet my family because we meet all the time for Thanksgiving as a yearly thing. And I just started taking photos. Not that I was like good and half of them were blurry and <laughs> but it was like that was the start of it. This was during the pandemic or so during- this was before. So like November of 2019. Okay. Yes. And then I brought it back to New York and then I had it. And I kind of used it here and there, but I was like, eh, I'll use it when I can. Film's kind of expensive. Then the pandemic hit and then I was really inside and I was like, okay, well, I need to go outside somehow. So it just became a thing where I took my camera out and I was taking photos of a lot of things around Brooklyn. Actually a lot in Chinatown as well, because that's when I started getting connected to the folks in Chinatown and... You know, it's easier to take photos with, you know, people you know and, you know, events that are going on around you. So I just started doing that. And I started saying it was a rediscovery because I now I'm remembering I actually have photo books, photo albums of photos I took on like disposable cameras or in Japanese, they call them bakachon cameras. So I have like a lot of albums from like our trips and stuff. So it's like, I was like, I've been always taking photos. And I've definitely enjoyed that part. So it's nice to kind of 
be in that space again. And I'm right now I'm planning a photo shoot and it's it's great. I'm like a kid where it's like, what colors do we want? You know, what kind of flowers? Yeah. You know, what kind of textures? It's like, and you know, one thing it really helped during the pandemic too is I was looking around and, you know, I was noticing more detail and like trees and lighting and people and clothing. It just made like the world around me much more interesting. Cause I think before that I was kind of just like walking through New York being like, Oh, I got to go to work. Oh, I got to get here. But I'm like, you know, now I was like stopping and being like, wow, this light is really great right now. Mm. Like, Oh, like this outfit you have on is really cool. Or, you know, this building's really cool. So it added that extra layer to the city, which was really important for me at the time. Yeah. That layer of presence, full presence in the city, especially when during the pandemic, <laughs> we couldn't access it anymore. The sensorial experience of like the colors, the textures, the light seems like it brought you to a sense of childlike play and ease and wonder, which is so cool because I feel like that's so important in terms of your evolution of your artistry because you entered from shipping company to producing podcasts. And then now you're talking about playing with textures and light. And I'm wondering if over the course of the pandemic, beyond just finding photography as a medium to reconnect with the city in Chinatown. Was there something going on in terms of your own spiritual or healing journey that has also influenced your artistry? Yeah. I mean, I've been in therapy for about two and a half years at this point, which has been a journey. But in the last like year, I think the biggest change I had was in therapy, a lot of times I was saying, when I was talking about my own experience, I was using phrases like, oh, you know, when you know you walk outside and you do this, and I was using you a lot as like a generalizing term. And then my therapist was like, use I. I was like, no, I can't <laughs> use I. That's too personal to me. Um, and that was really hard at first. But now when I'm speaking to my therapist or speaking to other folks about my own experiences, I'm using I. I felt this way or I experienced it this way. And there's something about speaking things into existence, right? So being able to really own those things. And that's actually helped clear up a lot of things from childhood or traumas I've had. That's really helped me clarify and also help this muscle of, okay, what do I want? What's interesting to me? Because me specifically growing up, I'm very attuned to what other people need. I was the good kid. I was a person that said the right things all the time. But when you are that person, you might be... The parents might love you or you might come off as like everyone likes you. At the same time, you sacrifice your own wants and needs or in dreams or just kind of the sensorial, like the five senses, right? Like what draws you? So being able to reconnect with that more and be like, hey, like being able to be like, oh, I'm upset by this or... I'm happy about this, or I feel joy about this, or this makes me sad. It's like, that's training that muscle. And that goes into my artistry in terms of photography, right? So like, oh, I want this light this way because I want it this, this, and this, and it makes it more clear. So I think the difference between being a producer and being like a craftsperson artist in the sense is like, the producer's like, okay, we need to take a photo. And then you look at the photographer and the photographer is like, all right, we're going to do this, right? And then I was in that position now where the grip was like, hey, what do you, what do you want? I was like, what do I want? You know, because <laughs> that's not usually a question that I was like uh, trained. Yeah. So that was a big change in that sense. But yeah, digging into like family stuff and my own using I to bring it back is mm -hmm. very important. To yeah. Me. I mean, I feel a sense of like resensitizing or like being like 
fully in the moment so that you can tune back into your own body, your own wants, needs, your desires. When you grew up as this persona, the giver or the the peacekeeper, the weaver. And I mean, I still feel like sense you as like a weaver because you weave between different like industries, different people, different cultures. But it seems like now it's more of a balance or intentional weaver where you're weaving other things, but you're also weaving like your own existence, like as a whole entity, instead of just like only in service for other people. And like, I'm wondering if like that has helped you clarify what types of stories you want to tell and what types of stories you feel called to explore more. I know you mentioned when we were talking about the card, going back to Asia and maybe exploring Japanese American experiences, but could you tell us more a little bit about that? Yeah, in terms of clarifying, and I've been doing some digging into my family. And my great grandfather used to own a print shop in Fresno, California's Japantown before the war, before they were all evicted and put into camps or prisons, as more people are saying, as they rightfully should. And that has kind of led me to look at a lot of archival photos. And I've found a lot of interest in kind of these like posed family photos, friend photos. When I was growing up, a lot of people had them on their wall. And where I grew up, it was like, your family photo is here. You know, it's like, this is my family. <laughs> yeah. But I think with like selfie sticks, or not selfie sticks, that's that's an old reference, but like phones <laughs> and like, you know, everyone having a camera, I think that kind of has gone away and like people elect to do shots outside, which makes sense because it costs less money. But part of me is like, I really would love to just work with families, friends in like studio spaces and just like get those like classic shots, but obviously like remix it to like, I think nowadays because I'm adopted and I know every family comes in different shapes, sizes. So kind of breaking away from like the traditional family roles, nuclear families to like, how can I help showcase or how can I provide like an image that's like, you know, because I think images are important. It's like we were here together as a group and for, to memorialize that. So I would love to like get into that kind of work. Yeah. That's really like people-based, like everyday people-based. I don't need you to be a model. I don't need you to be an important celebrity. I just really love to work with like everyday folks. The family portrait really resonates with me on a deep level because my mom keeps saying her her wildest dream, her biggest dream is to get another family portrait with my family. I was like, why is that your wildest dream? Like, that's so, it's just a portrait. And she's like, well, my dad, he's in Korea. Like, I haven't seen him in so long. And the pandemic has made it also impossible. And so my dad is a kirogi appa. So that means like a goose father phenomenon where after we immigrated, he went back. Um, okay. And so there's been a lot of distance. And then my mom's in California. My youngest brother is 19 now. So he's leaving the nest. My other brother's in New York and he's been there for like throughout the entire pandemic. And so the nuclear family is sort of split apart right now. And for my mom, that's like so painful. And her wildest dream is to get a family portrait that isn't outdated because the last time we did this was when I was maybe like 13. And to me, that was so touching because I was like, 
wow, like that portrait means so much to her. And it's like a symbol of the glue, the family love, the family unit. So I think what you're talking about, you know, is so meaningful for a lot of people, but especially like diasporic communities and, you know, families where distance can be like an element. That's a good point. I think a lot more these days, people are spread apart geographically, especially as the narrative in America is like, get out of your parents' house, go to college, have a career somewhere, own a house, which in your own life, like that spreads your family apart. So, wow. I was like, okay, maybe, maybe there's something here. I think also when I went home last time, I went to see my grandmother and she actually has over the years created like a scrapbook of the family on my dad's side. So I'm going through all these, you know, there's like death certificates, newspaper clippings and all these photos. And it's just, you know, they're posing in the front yard very deliberately. And it's like, you know, and then like, how nice is it in my head when I think about it? It's like in 30 years, if someone's like, okay, so this is my uncle, this is my aunt, this is whatever. Like to be able to do that, you need those photos. And I don't really, maybe it's like the place I'm in in New York and like the streetwear, like fashion scene where it's like, I think a lot of the photos are just put on a really cool outfit, go outside, find a cool location with like interesting at this point, like 90s referenced <laughs> looks, right? And then uh-huh. like shoot really cool images and then post on Instagram and like get a bunch of likes and then get a deal with a fashion company. And then like yeah. that's how you make it. Um, for me, I'm kind of like, that is fun for me in a way because I, I definitely like clothes and fashion. Don't get me wrong. But then <laughs> there's this like a whole part of me that's like family, mm. friendships, platonic friendships. Like how do you how do you memorialize that, right? Because it's like, you think about like groups of communities that have been removed from places or relocated or whatever happens, right? It's like, how do we remember that they were there, right? You know, the reason why we want in a photo when we go out dressed nice, right? It's like, I want to remember this moment. So I think about that a lot in terms of that type of photography. That reminds me of, you were saying your great-grandfather? Own yeah. the print. So it almost seems like you're carrying on his legacy in some ways, not to put pressure, but just as like it's been in you. Like this has been in you. And I think even just looking at your photos from Chinatown or New York during the pandemic, first of all, maybe miss New York so much. Um, and second of all, I could see that this is like this will be in the archives. Like this will be, we will all remember. 2020 in different ways, but you, your photos mean so much because you were capturing the moment. Like you were fully there, you were fully capturing it. And I think you said so that we can remember that they existed, that they were there. And I think that's such a powerful statement because I think for a lot of different cultures or marginalized folks and communities, it's like they're erased from history. They're erased from existence. And for me, like looking back at Like I was asking my mom and my dad, like, oh, can you share me more pictures from when you were younger or when you were like my age? And like, I just want to see what you were wearing. And she's like, I legit have no pictures. Like I have the photo from the wedding. I have so many photos of like of you, but not of me. And it's like, then that erasure or like, I don't know what she was like or what she looked like. And like, I wish that existed. So I think your thesis behind that work is so meaningful. Wow. Yeah. Like it 
connects us to the people we're closest to in that way. So you like can visually see, you know, the things they're wearing or I don't know, sometimes look at old photos of my dad and I'm like, oh, you're actually like kind of cool. <laughs> Cause you know, like I know him as like a 50 year old, you know, 60 year old man at this point, you know? Yeah. It's like kind of dorky, loves Star Trek, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, there's no shade to the Trekkies out there. Y'all cool. But like, I don't know. Do you see these people as a certain way? But then to like see an old photo, it just like changes up. You're like, oh, wow. Humanizes yeah. them a little bit. Yeah. And they're your own parents, which yeah. is, yeah, which I think about when I think about the movie Minari, but we can talk mm-hmm. about, you know, Asian American identity in that way. But wait, let's talk about Minari then. How was your experience watching that film for you? Jay Caspian wrote an article. This is the article where everyone quoted that part when Stephen was like talking about like to be Asian American is to be invisible and whatever, which is powerful. But I actually liked the later half of that article, which Jay Caspian wrote something about a lot of times our notion of how we see our parents, like, is it an actual reflection of who they are? Or is this like, it's morphed in a way that's not true because you're filtering it through like your own experience in the West growing up and kind of like what the media says about immigrants and your parents in general. So, you you know, and then, you know, when I was younger, like I was angry about certain things. Then you get angry at your parents about these things. So you create this like idea of who your parents are. But he was like, maybe the only way to meet our parents is to like try to meet them before like any of those filters or any of those things were put into our heads. Like, and how do we get there? Right. And that's like the beautiful thing that he said about Minari is like, this movie is kind of like meeting his parents for the first time, recreating that. And like, maybe that's just as they are. I'm trying to meet them as they are, not this like caricaturized version in our head. Because I think when I think about Asian American identity, I think as we try to build a new like culture, right, with like everything going on now, I feel like there's culture building going on. How do we create a culture that doesn't caricaturize ourselves mm-hmm. as brands come in and be like, hey, Asians are cool. Like, let's bring you in to do like this project or whatever. It's like, and a lot of times, like in our attempt to be so Asian American about it. We like caricaturize ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're in the formation process. So it's like, how do we define ourselves and how do we like tell our stories? Right. And when I watched Minari, it was just so, I watched it with my mom and she was like sniffling the whole time. And I just felt like sometimes it hit too close to home. And yet to be sitting next to my mom watching this movie and like in the same place and kind of like witnessing each other as we were, as you were saying, like really taking it in without the filters, without the labels, without the stereotypes, without all the therapy speak around, like as a child of immigrants or refugees, like this is what happens. And it's like, okay, logically we understand like this is what happened. And like, they didn't have the resources. So we, you know, all that stuff, but then like to watch, like a piece of art to watch film in the same moment with the two generations, I thought was like, this is a moment where I'm seeing her as she is. And this is a moment where she's seeing me from the child's perspective too. And so it makes me wonder then what you're most excited about in terms of like Asian American storytelling and what types of stories you want to see as 
as we start defining what it means to be Asian American. Well, your comment about watching your mom, just like when I think about watching that film and the, it's a very leveling movie, right? It doesn't assume a lot. It doesn't like scream at you to like feel a certain way. It's not imposing anything really on you. It's just like, and when you talk about like Asian American storytelling moving forward, it's like, I want to see people just living their life. I listened to an Ocean Vong interview and he talked about the story structure of American and Western movies and storytelling. Well, just storytelling in general, where it's very, you know, you meet a person, some trouble arises, they fall off or something happens like big and then you they like fight 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 and then like there's this big climactic kind of moment right in the film and that's the story he called it very uh <laughs> he said it was very sexual which i also agree. <laughs> it's very climactic right um which is i thought was a funny way of saying it but i was like yeah it's like sex sorry rated r um but <laughs> what i think about when i think about that was like i sometimes i watch asian movies and they're very like you meet the character and then you kind of just like follow them as they just live their life. I really like the movies that don't really have that big climactic moment or whatever. I think it's just something beautiful about it's so leveling about when I see those types of films or pieces of art. It's like, okay, I feel like I'm like actually there with this person and walking through their life that way. It's not like we're trying to get to some place. It's like we're like just put here. on a show for someone. Yeah. 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 That's definitely what I want to see. Mm. I mean, I think it was very intentional with Minari in terms of like, it wasn't like apologetic or they didn't try to like explain themselves. It was like, this is what it is. This is my experience. It was very declarative. And I I felt that. And <laughs> that's really funny about the Ocean Vuong interview. Yeah. I didn't even think about it that way, but it totally is like the hero's journey. It's so dramatic. It's like very linear and... I just want to also put a shout out to Ocean Vuong because every time he speaks, every time he goes on a podcast, my mind is blown. My heart is blasted open and I'll just put it out there. I want to manifest him on this podcast. At some there you point. go. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for facilitating that, Michael. <laughs> yeah. His voice is so soothing too. Know. You know what? When he talks, it's like he leaves space for you to think, mm. which I think is very different in this time of age when everyone's talking so fast. Yeah. But it's like everything he says is so profound. So you're just like, okay. Okay. (laughs) That makes me think about, so I was thinking about the throat chakra and how for me, it's been a whole journey of activating my voice and speaking up. And I think my upbringing and just all the conditioning, all the, you know, all the stuff has made me feel like I can't, take up space with my voice and there's all these narratives and coming into my own around like no like I I can speak I can tell my story doesn't mean it has to be better than anything else or has to be like what is credibility like who gets to speak you know and I've been thinking a lot about how though if you think about the chakras like the heart chakra is holding up supporting the throat chakra like all the things are holding each other up And so the more we lead with the heart, the more we lead with love, like that supports our throat in just channeling what's there just directly. Mm. And what I wanted to mention here is that I've been doing more breath work and understanding the importance of breath just to our life and our survival and thriving. 
And that breath is actually speech too, or the lack of speaking, just like your breath and your presence, the pause, like that is part of your voice and that is part of your story. And so, so that's what came up for me when you were talking about how you can sense that ocean is speaking with the intention to leave room for yeah. the receiving listener. Right. When you're not talking, you're breathing. That's on a more visual level. It's like when people play with negative space. Right. And then there's like notions of like people get uncomfortable with like big white sheets of paper. Yeah. They're like, there's nothing on it. But then there's other people that are like, there's so many possibilities we could do with this. This is great. So just it's like, yeah, the way you see it. That's actually really cool. I didn't really think about it that way. But yeah, breath's super important. Also like keeps the fire in you alive. If you stop breathing, yeah. that, that goes away, right? And the white space, like that also reminds me of, I think we're, I'll speak for myself. Like I was afraid of that space because it's like <laughs> the way I approach ambiguous things, like, okay, let's figure this out. Like impose some structure, like whatever. And that's fine. But the whole point of expansion right now, I personally am in a phase of expansion and that's really scary when, you know, I was not used to taking up <laughs> like space in that way. And that white space that you're talking about reminds me of that. Like that's like endless, limitless abundance possibilities. And yet that's so scary for people because it's like beyond what someone could fathom. And it brings me back to the original car we talked about where it's like, it's so hard to imagine what we can welcome in in that big space, the big leap. But actually, it's just like a matter of perspective because that's just calling in more expansion. Right. Yeah. And I'm also remembering what you said about credibility too. Yeah, I've been also thinking about that. Why do we need to listen to you? Speak? Yeah, who gets to... <laughs> <laughs> You're like powerful person, powerful man. Like you don't really know what you're talking about. So why am I listening to you uh, speak about this? And why do I feel so cautious about speaking and like taking mm -hmm. out space, as you said? So definitely feel that. I don't know how, if this was part of your upbringing, but like, I feel like there's a deferential nature to how I was raised, feel a little piety and like just, you know, respecting the system, <laughs> respecting what came before you. And I feel like there's like a deferential way to like, quote unquote, credible or like, you know, verified, um, degreed people. And then right now it's sort of like this clownery that this reality is. <laughs> Who gets to, what does a blue check even mean? Like, what does mm -hmm. a degree even mean? Like, mm -hmm. you are a human, I'm a human. Like, we each have our stories and we are all valid. And I think that's been like my mind blown moment where it's like, oh, I can speak because I have something I want to share. Like, doesn't mean I'm like, quote unquote, legitimate, but who is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say like college degrees wise, like maybe if you have like a chemical engineering degree and you're like talking about particles and how they like accelerate and smash together and like food systems or whatever, and it's very technical, then yeah. Okay. Credibility. Cool. But like if you have a marketing degree or these frameworks people have, right? About, you know, someone made them up, you know, and we can decide to follow them or not. I guess the legitimacy we put to them is how we feel about them and how accurate they are. But I don't know. I think, as you said, like the more I do this work, I'm like, oh, we really just made that up, didn't we? Like, really what is did. even real? What is time? <laughs> and it's like, it favors who the system was made for. And I think that's the fire 
within me and I'm like, ah, I see. Okay. Okay. So this just means more of us need to speak up and like do our own thing and build our own table. So yeah, I'm so excited for all the stories you'll tell with this leap of yours, but I want to ask you, Michael, what's your wildest dream? My wildest dream is to live in Japan and then in Asia and then also have a home with a Japanese bathroom style. This is very specific. No, I, um, I love the specificity. <laughs> and ride a Vespa to my photo studio where I photograph families and normal people every day. And then if I'm not doing that, I'm like hanging out outside and like, I just imagine this like garage where it's like, you open it up and like you can even like drive a car onto set and just like sit in it and like take a photo of it. But if I'm not, then I'm relaxing and like hopefully there's a body of water nearby. That's probably my wildest dream. Yeah. This is so romantic. Like this <laughs> this life, this wildest dream is so like romantic. It's also okay, the specificity with which you visualized and vocalized this means it's happening. It's happening if, okay. if you just breathe life yes. into it. Leap. And it's so possible. Like, it's so possible. And to me, like, I felt like I was there. And also, I need you to do this because I want to come visit you in Japan. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> and yeah. go to the yeah. garage. <laughs> yes, yes. And maybe I can bring my mom and my family. We can have the dream photo. Yes. <laughs> the dream yeah, family yeah, yeah. portrait. There you go. Have somewhere to meet. Yeah, no, for sure. My mom's wildest dream and your wildest dream converging. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, this is like your mom's dream is like more affirmation in terms of, okay, so this thing is like something that people are interested in. So why not? It really is. I also want to ask you a final question. What do you think your younger self needed to hear? And what message would you like to share with him today? You don't have to take on everyone's problems. You can listen to them and be empathetic, but you don't have to take them on as your own. I think that's, especially this week, Mm -hmm. I'm like thinking about that a lot. Yeah. Like, how do you be there for people without feeling responsible, fully responsible, or like emotionally drained from it? Or, you know, like what are the boundaries that you should have for that? Yeah. The timing of this conversation too, like this past week has been that for me as well. And the question has been, how can I be there for them? And also how can I be there for myself? And what does that Mm. look like? What does that look like? It's not black or white. I'm not abandoning them, even if that's the narrative that may form that that's not what I'm doing, but like, how can we be there for others and how can we be there for ourselves and make sure our voice doesn't get ignored in the process? Yes, yes. And yes. Wow. Actually, this is another thing I want to say is like, the more I'm getting into artistry and like spirituality more and more, it's how things align in ways when you just let them be and you're not trying to force stuff. It's kind of wild. I'm like always surprised by it. Even if like we're talking and we're experiencing certain things, but you know, we had this podcast recording yeah. scheduled. Exactly you know. when it was. <laughs> yeah. And it, like your mom's wildest dream is like mm-hmm. the thing I'm thinking about a lot today. 
This is also why I'm also very... I love Star Wars a lot because I think the Force mm. is like this actual thing in a way. You did Star Trek, but you do like Star Wars. <laughs> Listen, maybe I just haven't watched enough Star Trek. Someone show me Star Trek. Just got to leap. I guess we'll, I'm yeah. just going to keep saying leap because that's that's the theme. You can make the leap. title of the podcast too. Yeah, leap. <laughs> the universe yeah. will catch you. You leap, the universe will catch you. There's the title. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing this work for me. Now I don't have to title this episode. And I used to I do just... podcasts. <laughs> Thank you for co-producing. <laughs> no, no, no. This is all you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael, for coming on Sensorial and for sharing space with us today. And hope you take that leap towards your wildest dream in Japan. And I'll I'll be coming to visit you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Definitely. Catch me in Japan next year. So, Michael, where can we find you and support your work? My website is www.kensuchuato.com. Ken is K-E-N. Suchuato is C-U-C-H-U-W-A-A-T-O. It's basically Stuart in Japanese Romanized version. Love and then it. Instagram, I am Mad Names. That's another fun story, but it's just Mad Names, M A D M A M E S. Mad Names. Those are my two major things. Check out my photography if you need portraits, headshots, family, friends, photos. Yes. Know. Family portraits. Here we this go. This is the start. <laughs> this is the start. So hit me up. Thank you, Michael, for coming on Sensorial and everyone support Michael through all those mediums. And also support Sensorial. <laughs> Follow, like, share. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, oh, producer. <laughs> <laughs> support the pod. Hope you enjoyed the show. I would love to hear what resonated with you. And the best way to connect is by joining the Sensorial community on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash sensorial with Eunice to check out all the exciting offerings, including bonus content, behind the scenes stories, and somatic healing with the community. Be part of the founding member circle today by going to patreon.com slash sensorial with Eunice. Your support means the world to me and it helps fuel the future of the show. You can also find me on Instagram at Eunice.ks and go to my website, EuniceKS.com to sign up for my newsletter and hit the reply button to directly connect with me. Have a beautiful rest of your day and connect soon. Bye.